Suit Friday listeners, what's going on? Kenny, what's good, buddy? How are you? Good. How are you today? Dude, I'm wonderful. Just did some urban uh, SAR training over the Daphne Fire Department. Yeah. Um, sweat through my underwear, my undershirt, <laughs> uh, my flight suit top. My legs didn't sweat through the legs uh, today, but I did have that happen to me the other day. <laughs> Sock had to change the socks, too. Okay, good. But the training was fun. That's good. Yeah, it was really good. We did some pitch roofs, uh, did some window entries, uh, trying to get the program started up here. So uh, looking forward to keeping that going. What yeah, about you? That's awesome. Hey, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, apparently Atlantic City had a, a float inflation on accident. Did you hear about that? Uh, yes. Yes, I did, Kenny. Uh, unfortunately- uh, Hold on. I'm just, I'm going to stop <laughs> you right there. Um for all the listeners out there, don't worry. ATC is taking immediate steps to, to resolve <laughs> this issue um, because uh, Sam, apparently it was uh, both of these individuals that inflated the floats. Sam was their on-wing. So Sam is no longer allowed to have on-wings here at ATC. I, I am <laughs> Problem now solved. fired from my job. <laughs> yes. Uh, to the two on-wings, if you are listening, thank you. Uh, and now you at least know where the floats button is on the collective. So yeah, we were laughing in the division. Like remember in high school, like if someone kept fumbling, they would make him carry the football around for like a week. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're gonna make you hold the little collective. Uh, the floats button. The the floats button. The, the whole the whole like pistol grip thing. So. If I start like saying, "All right, where's the floats? Where's go around? Where's the floats? Where's go around?" Do you think there's a chance that it might be like now that I've told them it's there so many times? Something happens at the bottom of a catch, and they're like, "Oh shit!" And then I, I you know, like, they I know can't tell you that. All I can tell you is whatever you're doing is it's not wrong. working very well. <laughs> okay, and with that, we're gonna move on to some uh, fleet highlights. Thank you, Kenny. All right, we've got uh, a good highlight today. That's actually not in the uh, Star World; it's more in the. Uh, ALC world, uh, you know how they do aircraft transfers all the time. So I'm sure they have some interesting, uh, oh, either oh shit moments or um, certainly uh, we're stuck and we need to figure out how to get fixed and get out of here. So we got a, a shout out from the ops boss uh, over at ALC for AMT1 Derek Ross. He's at ALC and then AMT3 Anthony Hernandez. I think he's currently stationed up at Sitka. Uh, but they're doing a cross country ferry flight between Sitka and ALC. Uh, cracked a windshield in the 60 in rural South Dakota, uh, which could have easily been a two to three day uh, delay for parts and installation. But uh, really good crew. Uh, they happened to land in Rapid City, home of an Army Guard unit. So they. Uh, Stole some parts from them and fixed it in a day, same day, and they were off and uh, left all the Army guys just dumbfounded. Like, wait a minute, yeah. you guys can fix a helicopter that quickly and with only two people? Um, not surprising, Derek was the uh, 2021 winner for the Oliver uh, Berry Award. So uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, thank you for getting us our planes back and forth. And there's a lot that goes into it. So Yeah, love our maintainers. Dude, maintainers are the best. Real quick from the uh, 65 side, uh, slight change the way we do P course requests now. Um, so Jed Delighton in the division, I'm sure you guys know him. He's going to take that on. It's going to be a lot of extra work for the division, but we think it's going to give um, units some better operational flexibility to, to plan for deployments and AI and duties and stuff. So uh, your training officer is going to reach out to Jed and look for the next quarter ahead and say, okay, who's coming due for a P course? 
and work with that member to get their first, second, and third priority. And then Jed will make the slate and it'll go out. And so hopefully you'll know well in advance where your uh, PCOR state, when it'll be and who it'll be with. So uh, reach out to Jed Delighton if you got any questions about that. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. And it's kind of the way it used to be, actually, for those that have been around for a while. You would know way in advance. So if you wanted to switch something because some wedding came up or something, you could go and see what week you wanted and go talk to that person and be like, hey, this is Kenny from you know San Fran. Would you mind swapping P-Course? Like, yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah. And I think it'll help getting uh, orders cut on time, too, because I know that's been an issue. Yeah, dude. I, I couldn't. I, I can't even imagine like... Hey, am I going to go to P course? And it's two days, like Thursday before you're supposed to go and you haven't gotten orders yet. Not yeah. for any fault, you know, like we changed that new system and it's been kind of a grind to get through it, but definitely good to have a little bit of leeway. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like the 60 guys already do that. So we're, we're catching up with the 60. Yeah. They're a bunch of nerds Maybe. though. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. We actually are going to talk to some 60 guys today from Cape Cod. Pretty wild case they had up there with uh, the sailing vessel Calypso. So without further ado, you ready? Yeah. Let's do it. Ready. Here we go, Flight Suit Friday podcast listeners. We are uh, live, but not live. We're actually recording over the phone with uh, Air Station Cape Cod. What's up, guys? Who's out there? Hey, it's uh, Lieutenant Commander Nick Zablotny. Hey, Nick. What's going on, buddy? A.K.A. Hal. 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 Just happy to be here. Uh, I can't believe you invited me back for a second time. Dude, it's because of that ID picture where you (laughs) literally look like Hal from uh, Happy Gilmore. So we're going to be calling you that for the rest of this time. All right. Sounds good. You're not the only one there. Who else is out there? Uh, ASC1 Ed Bedoris, first time caller. Oh, welcome. (laughs) Welcome, Welcome, Ed. Welcome. Thank you. And uh, AMT2 Nick Shoemaker, also first caller. Yeah, awesome. Two first callers, (laughs) two Nicks. Well, one Hal, really. Yeah. Um, Guys, welcome. This is great. before we even jump into it, I think we all need to crack some beers. So I'm going to get us started here. Kenny, thank you. First of all, I'm drinking a high pitch mosaic IPA. It is uh, a high wire brewing company, which is up in Asheville, North Carolina. I don't know if anybody has been up there, but uh, if you get a chance to go see Asheville, North Carolina, that is a cool town. So what you got, Ken? Yeah, I'm going to follow right behind you. I didn't do this on purpose, but we kind of have a mosaic theme going on today. I got an old majestic uh, which is right here in Mobile, and it's a touch of mosaic, and it's a nine percenter. Ooh, yeah. Wait, yeah. What's my percentage here? Duh, it's too small. My eyes. Well, you're it. working on that. Six point uh, seven. How? What do you? Uh, what do you guys got out there? Um. All right. So you guys know my disdain for IPA, so I went and bought just five of the nastiest ones. I'll let you choose which <laughs> one you want. <laughs> so I got Whalers, Rhode Island Dry Hop, American Pale Ale. Nice. Lord Hobo's Boom Sauce Double IPA. Ugh. Oh yeah, that's that's that <laughs> might be the one. Living, time for living. DDH New England IPA. Does that mean double double hop New England IPA? Definitely, a hundred percent. Shy Bean Great White New England style IPA brewed with lemon and coriander. Ooh. Okay. Cape Time New England IPA. Uh, I think whatever that double IPA one was, I think that sounds the grossest. So I think that double, would be our the choice. Double double or that, the double? Uh, I think it was the second one you told us about. Yeah. Lord Hobo Boom Sauce. Yeah. Did you just say Lord Hobo Boom Sauce? <laughs> That's what it's called. 
<laughs> yes. Uh, the yeah. Lord Hobo, please. <laughs> I will take the Lord Hobo. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, guys, this is great. Uh, why don't we just get a quick where you guys been, where you're from, aviation career thus far, and uh, let's say favorite place that you have been stationed thus far. Uh, we'll start with uh, Ed. Let's start with you. Uh, so I've been... Uh Kodiak, Traverse City, Cape Cod, originally from Ohio, mm-hmm. and uh, so far, uh, favorite uh, unit has been um, Traverse City, Michigan. Yeah, it's a great spot. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, 60. Wait, were you 65s up there? Uh, I was 65 doing the, uh, assisting with the transition as a 60. All right, dude. Good. <laughs> Got to fly the Mighty Dolphin up there. That's sweet. It was an awesome time. That's good. How about you, Nick? Uh, we'll call you, I don't know, Nick... Schumacher? We'll call Hal Hal and Nick Nick. Yeah, I All think right. so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's how we're going. Hey, how about you, Nick? So I started Cape Cod, went to Sitka, and pulled back to Cape Cod again. Nice. Um, Cape, and I uh, can't seem to get away. But there's worse places, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like you and uh, Champagne up there, right? Didn't he <laughs> uh, start at Cape Cod and then go to Alaska and come back to Cape Cod or something? Yep. We uh, were here the first time together. Nice. <laughs> Awesome. Welcome. Um, and then last but not least, Hal, what's happening? Hey, uh, good to be back. Um, I started uh, 210 in St. Petersburg, Florida, twice school, back to Clearwater, Florida, and then up here in Cape Cod. Uh, Cape Cod's probably been my favorite uh, location so far, though. It's nice to have seasons again. I thought you were going to say the 210, but noted. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, the 210 was more fun than I thought. I, I had a pretty good time. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's sweet. Um, all of us here have read the uh, case study already, the, or at least the uh, summary of action that you guys sent out for the sailing vessel Calypso, but we'll just kind of jump right into it. Um, you know, starting from the top, what were you guys all on duty together that night or day? Yeah. So I think we got launched in the afternoon or like early evening. Luckily I ate dinner beforehand. We got launched pretty early, I think mm-hmm. around six for a, uh, a medevac off Nantucket, which is pretty normal. Mm-hmm. But what weird about this was, um, we, we take it when the, uh, med flight won't take it cause the weather's too bad. Right. But it was, it was beautiful weather that day. It was just windy. So it was kind of weird that we got launched for the Nantucket medevac. Um, so we, we de-started the plane a little bit, took off the pump just to give us some extra room for the litter. Uh-huh. Uh, as we're taxiing out, we're about to take off and the ODO calls and says, Hey, stand down from that we're we're gonna probably divert you on something else so we came back grabbed the pump wait do you guys always carry a pump with you we do oh okay cool i think they have two or three pumps back there that's only like 300 pounds who cares yeah (laughs) that's only 30 percent of our fuel in the 65 (laughs) (laughs) so we uh took off for a deep curve going off about 100 miles south of uh, long island um we climbed up we're getting I want to say 40 to 60 knot tailwinds on the way out there. So we're making like a buck 80 over the ground. It's perfect. Dang. Uh, and then the ceilings kind of started coming down. I think we started out around 2,500 feet and ended up having to come down to like 800 feet, getting into a little bit of icing, even though it was, uh, it was May. And then my, I was sitting right seat, my ICS foot switch just started um, hot, hot miking. And I didn't, I didn't mind it, but I guess the other guys minded it. So <laughs> I had to unplug and was just boxing from the, uh, the extended avionics rack in the back. 
Um, so that was kind of weird. I couldn't talk on any radios. It was just uh, just Fox yeah. for the crew. Yeah. So, so then so, we. Oh, sorry. Just backing you up. Uh, yep. Thirty thousand foot view. Um, you guys are heading out for an EPIRB case. Do you know what it is? Or it's just like, hey, we got an EPIRB going off and we are heading out. I think we just knew it was EPIRB for a sailboat. I don't think we knew anything else at that point. It okay. was four people. Aboard. Yep. Okay. I think, did we hear rumors at some point that someone was injured? There was one that was, somebody was getting intermittent, uh, like text messages from a family member. Uh, that somebody might be injured on the board uh, on the boat, but we didn't really have much information after that because they were so far offshore. The uh, communication just wasn't wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, and did you guys know what you were in for at this point, or were you kind of just like, oh, we'll just go see what's going on out here? I I don't think we knew no. what we were in for. Okay, no. okay, it, cool. Like cool. 40, like 100 miles offshore, but yeah, we didn't have any idea that it was going to turn into what we saw once we actually got on yeah. scene. Yeah. Okay. I think the closer and closer we got, though, I kind of started to realize, like, this is going to be an interesting day. And I think I reached out to ODL. I was like, hey, can you check the uh, can you check the wave heights for us out there? Because you could see it was getting kind of nasty uh, further southwest uh, we got. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was the time you guys took off again? Just trying to cage um, time of day. I know you said it was approaching nighttime, but... Uh, yeah, we took off, must have been around six o'clock. We got there about 30 minutes before sunset. Gotcha. We were on, so. Gotcha. I was right in the middle of dinner when we got launched. Yeah. Eating your sushi? That's... Eating the sushi, which is a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that you, Ed? You had to go <laughs> swim with sushi? <laughs> yeah. We, uh, so like I, I accidentally walked into that duty day. Uh, we had to make some duty swaps over the weekend, um, and I was the only available person to take duty on Sunday, which is Mother's Day. And I didn't want to take it because uh, I have uh, a wife and four kids. So I was like, ah, like, we looked at the schedule. I was like, ah, shoot, I'm the only one who can take it. So we ordered some food to base. And uh, we got about halfway through dinner when the alarm went off. And originally when that medevac popped off, like, I was like, ah, oh, I should be back, you know, not not too long, maybe an hour or so. Mm-hmm. And then we realized we got the bird. I was like, hey, sorry, I'm <laughs> going to be a little bit longer than we thought, I think. Yeah, not going to be there. Yeah. Oh man. So we're riding out. Um, obviously you guys are the duty crew, but Nick talk about that comms issue again. So your foot switch ICS, um, you mean how, sorry, how Jeez, yeah. I'm already getting it wrong, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry, how I didn't mean to disrespect <laughs> you like that. Uh, so your foot switch gets stuck and, and you just got a constant squeal or something like going on. It wasn't like a, a constant squeal, but it was sound like someone, it was just a hot mic. Um, so someone was constantly keying up and it was just kind of distracting. So I got you. Uh, we talked about the crew and decided it'd be better just to put me on another cord and just have me um, just go- talking through box. I got you. Yeah. So <laughs> me muttering under my breath. Why are we doing this? <laughs> you were sitting right seat or left seat? I was sitting right seat for this okay. one. Yeah. This, that was another funny thing was uh, so Dan Riley was the, uh, he's the AC and for the medevacs, just yeah, hop in the right seat. And then after this all was over, he's like, oh, I wish I took right seat for this. <laughs> <laughs> all right, paint that picture. So we're heading offshore, 100 miles south of Long Island, and waves are getting bigger. Yeah. So then um, I'll give it over to Nick in a second. But uh, we we actually used the the DF works perfectly. Uh, DF off the EPIRB, um, got an actual position which was about two miles from what we were past, so we knew it was a good spot. Wow. And then we. Closer, heard the uh, 
and then DF's off of that, and Dan saw it in the left seat, and it was really, it was honestly really hard to, to locate. Um, um, did you find it on EYR at all? No, I couldn't find it on yeah, EYR. It, it was really hard to find uh, a 52-foot boat in uh, the 20-foot seas without a mast, so... Um, yeah, just made an approach. Were you guys cued in to use uh, DF, or were you kind of going towards a uh, lat long based off the EPIRB and then had to adjust, or how'd that work out? We were, we were going like to the lat long, but new, and we we were just had to DF up, and we're just waiting to get better and better hit from the EPIRB. So okay, nice. And I had that location with the position they passed, and I knew we'd get a better location with the EPIRB. Okay, awesome, sweet. So then I'll let these guys take it from there. I think. Just kind of from there, we just decided just in the back what delivery method and what direction we wanted to go. Boat was just pretty smashed up. Couldn't go to the boat. Wasn't really safe. Tossed and turning. We kind of talked about it. Delivering Ed to the uh, bit of floating throw ring almost off the back that we yeah. tied on. With Caroline. We decided to go ahead and do a sling down there so Ed could go at any time he wanted to, but we could get him close enough with the waves going on that we didn't injure him or anybody else around. Mm-hmm. In your guys' career, have, have you guys seen something like this? Um, you know, you show up and here's this boat that is just a mess bobbing up and down like a rubber ducky in 20-foot seas, or um, did this kind of take you off guard? It was my first time seeing something that catastrophic with a boat out in big seas like that, so that was one of my first big cases uh, checking all that stuff out, so that was it's like when you get on scene like that, you kind of realize like, all right, we're going to see what we're made of now. Time to punch that time clock. We're going to have some fun today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of why I asked that question. Cause I think it's um, interesting, you know, you trained for this and, you know, mentally prepared, but when you actually see it, sometimes the, like the human brain is not conditioned to see that. And sometimes it takes a, a few seconds to just absorb what's going on. And be, before the, you know, training kicks in and someone calls for a rescue check or someone's like, how are we going to get Ed down to that thing? And then, you know, sometimes that's where things just kind of kick into gear. It's funny you mentioned that because we had an idea that, because uh, like, like I said, we didn't know what the boat looked like before we got out there. And we were, uh, you know, having multiple scenario discussions out there. We we're like, okay, maybe if uh, somebody is, you know, like uninjured on the boat, they could toss us out. Uh, you know, like a line, I can kind of pull myself into the boat depending on the swells or, you know, the condition of the boat and stuff. We're like, okay, that sounds like a good idea. And then we arrived on scene and that uh, life ring tied to the vessel with the uh, the heating line was still attached to the boat. We're like, oh man, like the idea is coming to fruition. Like it's right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. We just do that. Never works out like that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I was like already set up for you. That's great. Uh, were you thinking that uh, while you were going out there that you were just going to lower down to the boat somehow or were you guys already thinking hey you know ed going in the water you're going to swim to the boat kind of thing we kind of thought about ed swimming to the boat just knowing that the vessel was demasted already okay not sure where everything was at with rigging the sail yeah yeah i would concur yeah i think i'm a big fan any any sailing kind of related thing is i kind of just lean more towards putting some putting the swimmer to the water instead of trying to fit them in all that rigging and like, you know, as soon as you show up on scene, you immediately have a problem with your hoist cable that you get it stuck. And then the mission's kind of over before it even starts. Oh, for sure. I, I think it's interesting. Uh, this is just a side thought, but, you know, hoisting to a sailboat usually sucks because, you know, even if it's a 
in this case, a 52 foot sailboat, you've got probably an 80, 90 foot mast and that thing's swinging all over the place. So you got to have a high hover and, you know, you don't have the best visuals. When you guys saw that or knew that it was demasted, I mean, do you think that the hoist was going to be a little bit easier just because you'd, you wouldn't have to worry to any, or contend with any of that kind of, uh, all those obstructions? I think in the back, that was my first thought was not have to worry about the mast touching the bottom of the helicopter and that's one less thing I've got to look at as far as giving Connie commands and keeping them over and watching the basket that worked for me at least. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'd agree with that. Like when you, you know, you're not going to get hit by the mass if you're, you're trying to hover in. And also the, so, um, the mass was hanging off the port side of the vessel and that's where all the waves were coming from, which were between 15 and 25 foot, um, seas. And, uh, I think the sail, and the mast kind of acted almost like a sea anchor, and it gave gave us a fairly, I don't want to say stable platform, but it probably wasn't moving as much as it would if it was still if it if it still had its mast up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, did you guys mention winds? What were the winds out there? Uh, I think they were about 45, 50 knots or so. Okay, so, so that, that's that's think, gnarly. Yeah. Fifteen to twenty foot yeah. seas with. 40 to 50 knots of wind is, is gnarly. Yeah. yeah. We had a nice power margin that day. So it was, yeah. it, was, it was a good one. Not to mention the sun's going down. Sweet. Yeah. You know, that's what always happens, right? It always happens and it always is the worst weather, but then the sun goes down too at the same time. Yeah. And I also feel like that, um, that there's a point where the sun starts to go down where you can't really see well unaided and then you throw the goggles down. You're like, Oh, well that that's worse. You know, Yeah. were you guys absolutely. kind of in that, that time stage when you got on scene there? No, we were, I mean, we still had decent light when we first got on scene. Um, we put down Ed to the boat and, uh, and we were, it was probably 15 minutes before like sunset, sunset, okay. but by which I'm sure you guys were pretty thankful for to at least see it in yeah. the, the daytime kind of get settled. Okay. We're in a hover. We talked about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But by yeah, the last the last boat voice, the last survivor voice, uh, it was really dark, and then I had to go to NBG to pick up Ed, which is uh, that was kind of embarrassing. Uh, we'll get to that later. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's uh, well, let's jump into. It. We've kind of set the scene, so um, we're on scene. We you can't talk to the boat, or you can talk to the boat. We cannot talk to the boat. All right, that's helpful. Yeah, we put we put Ed down to the. There was a light ring that was hanging off the. Uh, the back who's at the double double hop IPA? It was the double double. Ed just opened the double double hop IPA. Excellent double um, double. <laughs> like in and out. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So um, put Ed down to the the life ring. Did you had the you had to swim a little bit to that, didn't you? Oh, no, we dropped not very much. Right on top. Okay. Yeah. But it just took you a while to pull yourself in, and then it took you a while even more to just pull yourself when the boat because there's so much debris, right? Yeah, so the original plan was to like kind of swim to the starboard side of the boat and pull myself up onto the boat that I didn't want to swim into the debris. Mm-hmm. I wanted to avoid that, and once I got to the side of the boat, I realized, like, man, this thing's pitching and rocking so much, like, this isn't a good choice. So I was like, alright, the only choice we have left at this point is to swim over like the broken mass and the debris that are on the back. So I kind of just like looked underwater real quick to make sure there are no snag hazards, and I was like, alright, I think I made it to the back of the boat. And as soon as I got on back, uh, Crawled up, started crawling up on top of it. Uh, one of the survivors met me uh, at the back of the boat. We started talking. Just, uh, at, at a, I'm going to cut you off. Just out of curiosity, like a little personal side to this case, like what, what was the first words that came out of your mouth? Like, did you pull a Kevin Costner and like let him know, identify who you were and who you worked for, or <laughs> were you just like, "Sup, boys"? 
I got to the boat. I was a little out of breath, and I just looked. And I was like, "Whoo!" I was like, "It's gnarly out here, man." <laughs> nice. He was, uh, nice. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was pretty upset too. He was like, "Yeah." He's like, "We're not. We're not doing too good." I was like, "Yeah, I believe you." Hey, why do you think we're here, man? <laughs> yeah, I love. Yeah. I love that though, Ed. Though, because like if you say something like that, man, it's gnarly out here. How you guys doing? Like you kind of set the tone. Like, hey, man, it's okay. Like I'm here. You know, I'm calm. You know, yeah. especially having that calm persona before you get going into the the case that probably really helps out the uh, survivors that's basically what i was just trying to do is just make them feel like hey we're good to go we'll get you guys out of here it's a short flight you know everything everything's gonna be all right so nice we went down and like started evaluate i started evaluating everybody and kind of figuring it. that's when i started realizing like you know we've got uh originally we had talked about just pulling all four guys in the water doing basket voice off the uh off the boat and then once i got uh down there and started talking to them i realized We've got four um, uh, older guys, probably in the 60 to 70 uh, age range. Three of them are injured. All of them are hypothermic. They don't have survival suits on. They just have, like, you know, rain gear on and stuff. And it was like, man, this isn't going to be a good idea to put these guys in the water. Like, it's, you know, they're already hypothermic. Like, we've got to do, unfortunately, we have to do basket hoist off the boat somehow. Mm-hmm. So, once I kind of assess the injuries uh, with those guys, um, we found the uh, the guy who was uh, most capable uh, with helping. So we decided to elected to hoist him first, so that way we could hoist the most injured guy second, so that way he could assist him out of the basket if he needed to to help him in the helicopter. Nice. And uh, so I started talking with him about you know just like trying to get to the front of the boat on the bow and figure out where we could hoist from. We blew out one of the hatches, started looking around on the front of the boat, and it was. Uh, that's where you kind of see me in the video, like wave at the helicopter. Like we kind of looked around. I was like, this isn't the best spot to hoist, but it's the spot we have to hoist. So that's kind of where we decided to go with that. Yeah. That's yeah, not easy. That's a tricky spot for you, uh, Hal, isn't it? Yeah. So you kind of going back a little bit, we, before we put Ed in, we're like, Hey, we'll, we'll just plan on you know, putting Ed down. He's going to throw him in the water and we'll just do a basket hoist. And then Ed gets on. He's like, Hey, we, we can't, I don't want to hoist these guys from the water because they're too um, frail right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to uh, hoist from the bow. And I turned to, or I told Nick Shoemaker, like, all right, man, I'm not going to be able to see. So it's going to be all you for this one. Mm-hmm. So we did the uh, first bow hoist, which actually went really smooth. No trail line, uh, basket to the bow. Did you guys do a dry run first or just go for it? I think we just went straight just for it. Went, okay. went right for it. Yeah. And then uh, Dan Riley sitting left seat. At times, he was the uh, only person I could see because would, it would get blown uh, to our left. And uh, Nick couldn't see just looking back and look to the left side of the aircraft. So Dan Riley sitting left seat kind of helped us, gave us some conning commands, helped me on the uh, collective and the cyclic a little bit too, just mm-hmm. to get us in a better spot. But um, yeah, picked up that first survivor from the bow without a trail line. I think the second one was too, but I'll let Nick talk about that second hoist. We wrapped the cable up on the first one. That was the second one. No, it was the first one right <laughs> off the bat. Yikes. How? What happened? Uh, I couldn't see anything. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's hard, man. We got the cable wrapped up around some stanchion that was down one there. Of the lines down okay. there, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as soon as we got the first um, survivor back in the cabin. I was checking cable, just running back through, and uh, my hoist glove caught a couple spots. We immediately talked about breaking up quick splice, looked at it, talked about his crew, 
got the swimmer on the radio, talked to him, let him know our intentions of not using the quick splice. Because at that time, we were still good. I mean, there's a broken strand here, broken strand there. But if we put the quick splice on there, we're losing cable. We're losing our up-limit switches, and our D-cell mm-hmm. is also not going to be there to slow the basket down. So kind of weighed our options on what we could do and what we ended up doing. So what did you do? We uh, elected to keep using the same cable and not using quick splice. Yeah. How did that make you feel, Nick? I'm just curious. I mean, I, definitely you guys made the, the call, um, but did, uh, did you have confidence in the hoist the whole time? Absolutely. I had confidence in it, and it reassured me with no doubt coming from up front and no doubt coming from the swimmer either. Yeah. That everybody was unanimous, and I think if one person was hesitant, yep. I would have the problem just cutting, throwing quick splice on, and going back to it. But we're all on the same page and even looking at it in the hangar the next day, I think we all would have done the same thing again. Yeah. Nice. That was going to be my question is like, Hey, did any of your peers, you know, after the fact talk about, you know, any other things that you should have considered before that, but it sounds like everyone was on, on board. Yeah. I think even command when they came down to look at it, that, uh, XO was out in the store. Yeah. He's like, Nope, my motor ran that cable. He's like, you know, the mountain cable issues that we had over there, I've seen it over and over, and I would have done the same thing. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough call to make, too, in the middle of the hoist, uh, like well, the evolution. The first one, you know, knowing <laughs> yeah. that we've got three other survivors and a swimmer to pick out. Yep. Of course it happens I on would, the first one. I was stoked when they called me on the radio and they're like, hey, we're inspecting the hoist cable right now. I was like, I'm 100 miles offshore, <laughs> and it's going to be Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Not good. I, I'm just to recage my visual here. So, um, you're obviously, I'm guessing you guys nose into the wind. Um, the boat is, uh, beam two with the port side, uh, upwind. So that, that way, like you're basically only being able to look at the bow, right, Nick or Hal? Sorry. Uh, God, no, so we're, we're, we're looking at the, uh, the starboard, the starboard side. Okay. Um, so I think the winds were out of the northeast, uh, about yeah, forty-five knots or so. It's getting blown back onto it, taking beam, and the seas were basically the same direction too. So okay, um, port beam was where the seas were coming from, and then we were looking at their their starboard beam. That makes sense. And then you could only see the bow as you got over the top. Um, and yeah, then, and then yeah, we were we were doing it to the bow, and then once I got close, I couldn't see and was just hovering off the hover bars and uh, using the waves as well. Yeah, to hover. Yikes. Uh, were you guys um, actively calling waves and like were they coming in a good interval that you could kind of anticipate the movement of the boat? Because I'd have to assume that that sailboat was, you know, stationary and then rocketing in a various direction hit by a wave. We had a pretty big service loop going on for the hoist cable. And uh, I was watching the basket, watching where we're located. And uh, calls were coming in from up front, let me know when big waves were coming. So yep. That way we could move by the time a little bit better it didn't seem to me that they were consistent as far as like you know how steady the waves were coming they mm-hmm. seemed pretty static yeah that's got to be really hard for cable management nick like that's that's not easy uh it was definitely one of the uh, trickiest days i think i've ever had out there yeah so going into number two, um, from reading the description, it, it sounds like this was maybe the tougher one for you, Ed, to get the, the person up and out of the boat. 
Yeah, so this is the guy that had a concussion, big laceration on his head. So we started talking with him, told him, you know, we need to get him up to the about the boat. So we went to the, uh, the hatch up forward and realized, obviously, he wasn't able to, uh, he wasn't able to climb out himself. So I had to lift him out of the hatch under the boat. And once we did, I'm kind of, you know, having him hold on to the stanchion lines in front of the boat. And at this point, we elected to do a uh, trail line to the boat, mm-hmm. uh, just so that way, you know, we could have a, uh, easier time getting the basket on board. And I knew he wasn't going to be able to climb into the basket uh, super quickly. So once I got the trail line, I tried to manage as best I could in that small spot. And as soon as we got the basket on deck, um, I decided to do something we don't typically do, which is disconnect the hoist hook from the uh, the rescue device. Mm-hmm. But my thought process was, if I can disconnect this, you know, they uh, they go lost target or something, the, the hook gets ripped off. You know, it just rips out of my hand, and I still had the trail line, you know, 105 feet of trail line that I could pull it back in with. Mm-hmm. But if he's trying to crawl into the basket while it gets ripped off deck, like that's going to be a bad day for that guy. And, you know, who knows how that's going to end up. So I disconnected the, uh, the hoist hook and I'm holding it in my left hand, managing all the trail line to make sure it doesn't blow off deck or get snagged and like assisting, uh, this gentleman into the basket at that point. And that took probably at least a minute, uh, minute and a half to get him into the basket. And, uh, as soon as he's in the basket, uh, connected the hoist hook again. And then uh, we sent the basket back up for the second recovery. Yeah. Hey, uh, Ed, I'm just I'm just listening to you talk and just really impressed to hear your kind of on-scene initiative, um, both with like, hey, just assessing the patients and, hey, here's my most capable guy. I'm going to – he's on my team now. I'm going to put him to work. Um, and talking about, you know, you disconnecting the, the basket. Are these things you guys talk about as, as rescue swimmers or is this just you kind of thinking on the fly? No, that was a uh, that was a crew decision. Uh, when we were flying out there, we knew that there was one person that was significantly injured. And talking about it as a crew, I think it might have been uh, Nick who brought it up that we should bring up the uh, most capable guy first, followed by the most injured guy to help pull him out of the basket in the helicopter if he needs assistance. Yeah, I really like that because I feel like a lot of people, including myself, would you know rush to get that person who you think needs the help the most up and out of the boat, but then you maybe put your flight mech in a position where it's tricky for them to clear them out of the basket or the, you know, moving the litter or anything like that. Right. Because at this point we had no idea of the size or capability of like, you know, any of the survivors. So we didn't know if, you know, who was a, uh, a larger gentleman who, you know, might be, who can't walk or anything like that. You know, it's, it's one of the things like you can play out a hundred scenarios, but then, you know, once you get on scene, the playbook goes out the window kind of thing. Yeah. I also, I mean, I'll throw this to you too, Hal, but like as the flying pilot disconnecting the basket when the boat is pitching and rolling like that, like I'm all about that. Especially if you cook it to a trail line or you're, you've got it and you know you can throw it away from any snag hazards, like that takes the pressure off of me to have such a precise hover to not rip that basket off. And it, I think if I remember correctly, that's what uh, your crew did uh, with the Atlantic Destiny Rescue. Um, you guys actually, at least the the uh, whatever they're called, the uh, rescue jumpers up in uh, Canada were disconnecting the basket every time they put somebody in because it was... Oh, the Sartex. Sartex, yeah. thank you. Yeah, because um, yeah, it was moving so much. And it helped them out a lot. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it gives you an extra 105 feet of leeway, which is significant in cases like that. Yeah, which if you're a Sam, like you're gonna need all 105. <laughs> Actually, feet of you that. need 210. <laughs> I'm gonna need two trail lines, <laughs> easily. All right, so you get that second guy up, and then uh, then how did it go? The last two were relatively uneventful. I feel like uh, that's my memory of it. What do you guys think? Uh, the 
I can't remember if it was the third, the, I think it was the last voice we had of the, uh, the guy who had broken ribs. Um, that was one of the more eventful ones that we had because, so we, I was, uh, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's the one where you got blown by that giant wave. Yeah. So we, uh, I was sending the trail line for the basket coming on, mm-hmm. uh, down to the boat. And we got about halfway through, uh, that hoist had half the trail line paid out. And then all of a sudden we had that wave come up and smash us in the back. And as soon as we did, like the guy was holding onto the scansion line behind me, but as soon as we did, I just kind of rolled over on top of the guy. So that way, you know, if we ended up rolling off the boat, like I'm on top of him, at least I know where he's at. Um, but I was trying to prevent us from going over the side of the boat. And then, you know, just kind of held on to him, grabbed the scansion line, pulled ourselves both back on the boat and kind of looked at him and like, are you okay? And, you know, he shook his head yes. And I was like, whew, like it's starting to get gnarly out here. Like we're, we're having a real good time out here now. <laughs> kind of collected the trail line wherever it was at that point and just like jumbled it up and then like continued to hoist the basket down on it and yeah continue to do the same method with those guys is like disconnecting the hook holding it on to it and waiting for them to roll into the basket and then reconnecting it again man that's tough man i mean good good on you for jumping on that guy what was the water temp uh i think that day i think it was high 40 Ooh, man so not not terrible but definitely not good for uh, wearing rain gear into a uh, into the water yeah yeah 40 degree air temp with 50 knots of wind is chilly very chilly yeah and even on that wave we saw it coming in the dark of night it was rolling white wave i couldn't signal as didn't have enough time just as an air crew watching to see what's going to happen it's like a train you couldn't stop that's interesting yeah to see it from your perspective and not be able to tell the swimmer that it's coming and it just comes out of nowhere. Yikes. Um, we haven't, I'm obviously Dan, uh, Riley's not on the, on the show right now, but, um, how was his role in the case? Was he pretty critical for the CRM? Um, uh, like providing additional conning commands or, um, I, I know how that you mentioned him just adding a couple inputs here and there, but I'm just curious. I, I just said that to be nice. Dan really did nothing for us. You <laughs> didn't even bother to show up today to that talk was great. about it. I teed, yeah. a, I teed I, up I, an I opportunity him. to give him some credit, and I love yeah. what you I responded him, as. I told him the wrong time because I knew, like, uh, there's nothing you can contribute for this anyway. <laughs> uh, Dan, was, Dan was super important for the, the whole thing. Um, yeah, it, he was sitting left seat, and like I said before, he was at times the only person that could actually see the boat, and then he was helping me out a lot. Um, just on the collective and cyclic, just making making sure I stayed stable and I probably honestly without his like steady hand a couple times, I probably could have gotten us some pilot induced oscillations. But mm-hmm. it's nice just to have that second person on the six to back you up and make sure you don't overcorrect a little bit. So um, yeah, we couldn't have done it without Dan. Yeah, and, I like I like highlighting that too because you know a lot of times you sit in the left seat and you're just. Uh, you wish you had the glory of sitting in the right seat and actually doing the stick wiggling for the hoisting. But man, there's so many cases out there that that left seat pilot is so incredibly important uh, keeping the aircraft in a safe profile. And if you get out of a safe profile, that person's usually the one who uh, you know can, can recover the aircraft before something goes sideways. Oh yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And as soon as we go in the hoisting, right seat would go lost target. I'd start painting the picture from behind, you know, make sure we're getting in. And mm-hmm. it was definitely a first time for me calling lost target and then having left seat immediately pick it up. 
get us back to where we need to be, grab the conning back and going in. Yeah. So it was definitely having uh, Dan up there. It's awesome. That's really good CRM guys. That's really cool to hear. Is that something you guys talk about in the 60 community? Uh, I, I know we talk about it a lot in the 65 community and, and hoist briefs where we say something like, hey, you know, left seat pod, if at any point you see something come out your side, feel free to either take controls or start giving conning commands. Um, and, you know, like Sam said, it doesn't happen very often, but it sounds like in this case it was uh, a seamless transition. Uh, I wouldn't say that's something we talk about, but probably something we should start incorporating. Yeah, that, that's interesting because, yeah. yeah, it's something that comes up very frequent in our briefs. Sweet, guys. All right, so you got the uh, broken rib guy up after Ed uh, sandwiched him on the boat to prevent him from flying off. And then what did you guys have? One more after that? No, that was the last guy, right? That was the last toy. Okay, yep. that was the last toy. Gotcha. And then how did uh, – Ed, how did you get back in the boat in the helicopter? So after uh, after we finished hoisting the last guy off the boat, you know, they, they called me down. They're like, hey, you know, uh, how would you like to be recovered? I was like, I want off this boat. Like, I'm done being on this boat. Yeah. I'm hopping in the water. We can just do a uh, bear hook recovery or, you know, and go from there. So, like, okay, yeah, we're good with that. So, hopped in the water and started swimming away from the boat. And the waves were doing a weird thing that they were like, the winds were blowing, you know, a couple feet up on top of the way. They were blowing uh, away from the boat, but the tide underneath was pulling a different way. So I started swimming away from the boat. And I look back and I'm only like, you know, 10 yards away from the boat. And I was like, right, I'll swim a little harder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept away from the boat and I look back and I'm still like 10 yards away from the boat. Like, this isn't, that's not going anywhere. Like, I'll get it. So signaled for, uh, for pickup, ready for pickup. And uh, the helicopter, uh, comes in and they uh, go a little bit more forward than where I'm at. So I'm like, all right, I'll swim towards them. And by the time I had watched them go overhead and look back to the left again, I was 50 yards away from the boat, but it was to my left this time. So I hopped off, it was to my right. And then in that transition time, it was 50 feet to my, or 50 yards to my left. Wow. Like it just completely blew the other way. Yikes. It's a good thing you got clear of that thing. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was a unique event out there. Man. Nick, what was the largest conning command you gave? Like, you know, I feel like we're so used to doing stuff in our little training areas where, you know, you do swimmers and it's like, all right, forward and right, 40, 30, 20, 10, easy, hold, prepare, take the load. Yep. All right, coming up. Uh, did you have any crazy, like, uh, back 40? I mean, uh, yep, left 50, hold, left 10, right 30. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> the waves are just super weird out there. I've done high seas training up in Alaska and you can kind of anticipate on when the waves are coming through. This one, we're coming, you know, forward and right 50. Then it's almost a hold by the time yeah. the wave that picks the boat up, kind of let it ride up and over. And then all of a sudden, we're literally on top of it. Yep. They were super hard the time and to kind of figure out what direction it was going to put the boat down in, I would say. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Really good job uh, getting it done because, like I was pointing out, it's just it's so different than what we're used to and ingrained in our brains for, for training, you know, compared to what it is when you've got 20-foot seas and, and wind. Yeah, so for the three of you, uh, where does this rank among um, SAR cases that you've had? Top, middle, hardest, easiest for Hal, of course, because he's so cool. Yeah, no, this is number one. Yeah. Yeah, I would absolutely, this, this is absolutely number one. Mm-hmm. Up until a little bit ago, I would say it was number one, but I just got one a couple of weeks ago that was a little bit further offshore and 100 foot tall man still intact. So I think that one just bumped this one down to number two. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> it sounds like you guys have good search and rescue up there in the Cape. Yeah, it's 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 legit stuff up here. No, it's not. Don't come here. <laughs> don't don't think about putting on your dream sheet. It's not worth it. <laughs> Here's a completely off track sidebar question. Uh, any shark bite uh, rescues up there? Because I've heard a lot of news stories about uh, great whites and tigers <laughs> and all sorts of stuff off the Cape and Long Island. I think last year we got launched for a medevac of a woman in Maine that got attacked by a shark, but I think we got slid down pretty quick from that. So okay. Sam, I also just wanted to, sorry, I wanted to go back and talk about Ed's pickup as well. Yeah, please. So I, at that point we got him off and I was like, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm just picking up Ed from the water. It was not. Uh, I had to switch to MEGs because it got too dark at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of got conditioned to hovering off of the vessel, which moves completely different than Ed in the water. Oh, absolutely. So Ed, um, of Ed, I kind of blew right past him and it took me two tries to, to pick up Ed, and all I was thinking to myself was the whole time was, I just got four guys off a D-massive sailing boat. I can't <laughs> leave the just swim out here. It's really bad. So. Yeah, I mean, you went from uh, a vessel that was probably moving, you know, 50 yards in either dire any direction, and then, you know, Ed probably staying relatively stationary, uh, especially if he's duck diving in any kind of white water. No, nah, I, was, I was starting to bob around out there pretty good. So after I jumped, after... You know, they went past me out there. I was kind of looking at them, and it looked to me like they were starting to flash lighting hover lights just for uh, relocation. Mm -hmm. And I saw the tail start spinning to the left, so I just turned on my strobe real quick just as a uh, it's one of our relocation methods. Mm -hmm. And so it looked like they spotted me at that point. I was like, okay, so I turned the strobe off, and that's when the waves like I was sitting in them, and I saw it like I was in the trough and started seeing the crest on top, and I was like. Oh, they're getting big out here. And then they started like the wind swell started breaking them over top. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> like, come on guys. Like, I, I'm, I'm good right now. Like we, we, we can, we can end this right now. And then, uh, uh, yeah, they started coming for the, uh, I saw the bear hook coming in, but everything was getting blown around so much out there that like the hoist cable was starting to get hard to see because there was, you know, it was so dark out there. And then, like, the white water blowing over top of it, it took me, you know, a few tries to try to swim to the hook because the hoist cable would get lost. Like, I'd look up and I'd see the light, see the hoist cable coming down, and it was like, where'd it go again? It just got blown around somewhere else, and we you know, swimming over to it. So, mm. And it was extremely hard with the uh, 45 knot winds. Putting a bare hook down, just going down, it was blown back to the orange stripe without any sort of forward momentum going from the aircraft. So just from having the winds blow that hook, and uh, we ended up on the second try putting a weight bag on there to help get a little bit more plump so we would get down there to add a little quicker and a little easier rather than overflying them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's tricky conditions, and um, it sounds like you guys managed it pretty well. So that's awesome. Good job, guys. Uh, how was the transit back? Uh, so I'm going to throw in sorry, one, one more funny anecdote, Kenny and Sam. Um, I feel like in every stressful situation, there's always like one – moment where you're there's like something you can laugh about at the end uh-huh so after the first voice when we had the cable issue we're like all right we need to let ed know that with their strands in the cable i don't want to scratch his hand up at all we'll let him know on the radio mm -hmm. and we deliver the basket to him um and then we back off and i see ed on the bow of the vessel bent over on his knees and elbows like he's in tremendous pain i was like oh my god we just we just killed Ed. This is really <laughs> this so, is bad. 
Yeah, we, uh, I was like, Dan, check with Ed, make sure he's okay. We call him on the radio, he doesn't respond, then he just climbs down in the boat. I'm like, all right, I guess he's, I guess he's okay. So then we get him back up. I'm like, Ed, what, what happened there? We were like, really worried about you, man. He's like, oh, the basket got caught on my toggle on my life vest and inflated. No, <laughs> so was like, really? Uh, I wasn't going to bring it up. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awesome. For so any swimmer who's listening. <laughs> I'm just prone to shenanigans somehow that like they just follow me around. So as we were hoisting up, it got caught on the... Uh, I don't remember if it was the trail line to the basket, but on the way up, it got caught on my toggle. And as soon as it did, I was tending the trail line up. And as I was, my arms were just getting more and more flared. Out. I was like, what's happening? And I was like, oh, <laughs> God, I'm inflating my stripes. <laughs> so we got the, uh, we got, as soon as I got the uh, weight bag in my hand, I threw it off and I just twisted my, uh, my oral relief valve down and it started like, that's when I bent over and this hour was injured. I was just like blowing all the CO2 out of my vest. And I, like, I tried really quickly to like snap it back together. I was like, I can't do anything with this. So it was just flapping around the whole time. And I was just dealing with that the rest of the time. So it wasn't really a physical injury. It was more of an injury to the pride, right? <laughs> pride and ego took a hit. Got it. Yep. Got it. Yep. Oh, that's great. Dan Riley, the godfather himself, he just walked in our office. He's on duty tonight. So. Oh, wow. Oh, we got the godfather? Grace us with his presence on the podcast? Or? <laughs> What's up, fellas? How you doing? Hey, Dan, good to have you on here, man. Yeah, sorry for my tardiness, man, but that's just summer tape, right? Duty call. You came up in the perfect time. You can summarize the entire case for us. Uh, actually, just uh, from your perspective, because we just got Hal uh, saying how terrible you were as a safety pilot out there. Um, <laughs> what was what was it like uh, sitting left seat for that case? Oh, are you kidding me? I was just pissed off that I let Nick have the damn right seat. <laughs> <laughs> Put a meta back up, up uh, Nantucket to, to start the thing. And I was like, oh, Nick, you take it, man. This will be straightforward. Uh-huh. When we get to first, I was instantly pissed. <laughs> uh, well, he's got, he owes you now. Oh, yeah. oh I won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> People don't forget. Dude, that's great. Uh, what other stuff you guys got? Any anything else you want to talk about with this case to share with the? Uh, you know, I guess my mom's listening, but and maybe any other fleet listeners. I miss that designer. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, we're still all coming off of our high from this case, and around was at noon, twelve thirty. We got launched for a medevac off of Rockport, Maine, and I feel like a lot of times you get a medevac and it's just they're like oh my god they're dying and you get there and they've got like a tummy ache or something you're like you're fine yeah but this was a this was a legit one which dan riley did take the right seat for and did a great job (laughs) but uh this was this was uh this was like probably the most legit medevac i think i've ever done i looked back at one point ed was sucking uh teeth out of the guy's throat with the suction machine so that was a pretty legit I almost lost my beer that I just drank. Yo, yep. well, what was the injury? I'm curious for that medevac. Uh, we got the call for a uh, medevac off a sailing vessel, which a uh, one of the Coast Guard 47s ended up picking up the guy and transferring him to his boat to try to get him to uh, shore. But a uh, jig boom had broken loose and cracked the guy in the back of the head, and he face planted right into the deck and was just unconscious oh. at that point. Yikes. Oh, man. You guys said this was the same duty period, right? Yep, yeah, same 24 okay. hour period. Okay. And you guys went out and affected another medevac? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. That's a good duty day. Yeah, it was it was the most I think, intense duty day of my life. So that's awesome. So, yeah. yeah. 
how 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 was your uh, left seat performance in that case? It was better it than dance. Left seat performance the previous <laughs> evening, but I think I did. Our- okay, good. Okay, good. 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 Uh, I have uh, one more unrelated question prior to uh, getting any parting shots from you guys and wrapping it up, but. Um, I want to know how good those horrendous uh, New England IPAs, according to Hal, that he purchased. <laughs> Any good? This, um, the Ward Hobo Boom Sauce. It's drinkable. I want undrinkable. I want to drink that beer because of the name, <laughs> Lord Hobo Boom Sauce. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice guys. Well, that's awesome. Um, Kenny, you want to wrap it up? Knowing what you know now, would you have done anything different coming on um, duty relief that day? Wouldn't have eaten that sushi. <laughs> did you did you barf the sushi or did it stay down? No, I was just burping up ahi tuna, spicy <laughs> ahi tuna the whole time I was on the boat. Nice. I guess it's better than like barbecue. Like if you had had ribs and mac and cheese, that might have been a little worse, you know. Whoa. That's a but, gut bomb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I definitely have heard swimmers talk about like, yeah, until you've thrown up treading water, like you've never thrown up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, guys, we uh, really appreciate you coming on here and telling us this, our case. Um, I certainly learned a bunch from it. It was awesome. Um, We usually like to end the show with either a piece of aviation advice that you've gotten in the past that has worked well for you and you want to pass on to others or something that you learned from this case uh, that you'd, you'd like to highlight again. And, um, we'll start with you, Hal. What do you, what do you got for us? Um, I'd say don't ever show up to duty, not expecting to get the star case of your life. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, I wasn't mentally prepared for it that day. And even we got launched for that Nantucket medevac. I was like, Oh, easy day. This is going to be gentleman star for us. And then it turned out to be probably the most difficult and challenging, but rewarding case of my life that day. Yeah. Yeah, that's some good advice. Definitely good advice. I like that. How about you uh, next there, Nick? Oh, I'd say always pick up those extra duties. Uh, yeah. It wasn't my day. It was somebody else that had, uh, had swap and went ahead. The newest flight mech. Yeah, the newest flight mech got bumped from that. So he uh, missed that opportunity, and I was pretty uh, happy to pick it up. Are the two of you still friends? Ah, <laughs> uh, occasionally. Depends okay. on what you're from. Okay. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That's what I always tell new co-pilots that are graduating here from ATC is like, the only way you get is experience by having your butt in the seat of that aircraft and you never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, that's great. What about you, Ed? I don't know. I'm not good to the parting shot. Uh, the only thing I'm coming up with is embrace the suck. I like that. Yeah, especially from a swimmer perspective, you kind of have to. Yeah, it's uh, the best job I ever had. It's well worth it. And uh, when you get to do stuff like this, it's, uh, it's amazing. It's a great feeling. I like that. Yeah, well, thank thank you guys so much for uh, taking the chance and coming on and just telling your story you today. One more. We one yeah, should we, I think Dan's there, I, dude. I thought we already got Dan's. Like, we already got that from, from Hal, Nick, and Ed. Like, yeah, pretty much... Could have gone without him. Could have gone, could have gone without gotten Dan. Ex- extra couple pounds of fuel if he Single didn't come with us. Sixty. Sit on your hands and look at the OET gate. <laughs> okay, I, I, I'm sorry, Dan. Would, do you have any parting <laughs> shots or uh, any like, advice you'd like to give? <laughs> now Dan doesn't want to share, man. No, Dan. I, honestly, I don't know what to do with my hands now. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dan, 
never give up the right seat. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad advice right there. That's not bad advice. But but honestly, Dan, you got any um, words of wisdom you'd like to pass on that you've gotten in your past? Um, I'll throw up two, two things that come to mind. If you're going to do hard, hard star, make sure you bring a, a rock star team with you. And I, I think uh, I felt fortunate to have that on this particular case. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the second thing, I've been doing a lot of like right seat skills flights for, for new pilots and, and uh, you know, upgrade flights for FPs and ACs. Um, and uh, a number of our pilots uh, here on Cape over the last, uh, last couple of years, we've been talking about like just needing to know the procedures and the policy cold such that on that, you know, once in a career case comes along and you need to kind of step outside when standardization won't get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to know what the aircraft can do and you need to know what you can do, you know, within policy to still execute on the mission. So um, you need to know, you know, know the aircraft, know the policy such that you can kind of step away from standardization on that once in a decade case um, to still execute. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That, that kind of goes back to that Admiral Courier article that he did that says, you know, Hey, stay with inside of that safety blanket of policy, but Hey, every once in a while, you're going to find yourself on a case that's going to require you to, to deviate and step outside of that policy. And you need to know exactly what it is that you're doing, why you're doing it. And your crew needs to be on, on board to do it. And once that's done, you, you step right back inside and you basically just, you know, said exactly that. And that that's great advice. Yeah. Do you guys practice uh, bow DIW hoist now? I finished every uh, like day boat hoisting flight. I fin- I finished up with two trail lines like only to the bow. Yep. That's how, that's how we finish up every single one now. But yep. on my flight. Yep. I like that a lot. I-, I actually have started doing that too because every DIW actual case that I've had has been a bow DIW hoist. And it's never been the same. And it's never been like we usually train with crossing the T. Yeah, no doubt. Yep. Hey guys. Well, thank you so much, uh, like I was started to say, for coming on and, and telling your story. Um, just listening to you guys makes me fiercely proud to just be in the Coast Guard. Like, this is what we train for, and I love hearing about crews that go out and uh, are doing the King's business. So thank you. Yeah. Awesome, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. We say goodbye.